This podcast series is sponsored by GSK. Dr. Doreen Siri and Dr. Matthew Mintz are healthcare providers who have been paid by GSK to produce this podcast. The information in this podcast series is intended to support disease state education and is considered non-promotional. Hello and welcome to the first of three podcasts on severe asthma. The first podcast is entitled Blood Eosinophil Testing in Severe Asthma. And the objective of this podcast is to increase awareness and understanding of the importance of blood eosinophil testing on improving diagnosis and phenotyping in severe asthma. My name is Tom Corbridge. I'm a pulmonologist at Northwestern and a U.S. medical affairs lead at GlaxoSmithKline. And I'm delighted to introduce our two speakers for today. Dr. Doreen Siri is CEO, CMO of Midwest Allergy, Sinus, and Asthma and Medical Director of the very aptly named SWIA uh, Clinical Research Center. Doreen, welcome to the program and tell us what SWIA is. Thank you so much for this opportunity. I would love to speak about what SWIA is. It's Sneeze, Wheeze, and Itch Associates, because certainly we encompass a lot of type 2 diseases in our clinical research center. Our practice is in central Illinois. Welcome, Doreen. And also a great pleasure to welcome Dr. Matthew Mintz. Matthew is a clinical associate professor of medicine at the George Washington University School of Medicine. And he is a physician in private practice in Rockville, Maryland, and very passionate about asthma. Matthew, welcome to the program. Thank you. Glad to be here. Well, let's get right into the topic of severe asthma and eosinophilic testing and inflammation. So, Matthew, I'm going to have you start by just giving us some numbers about the scope of the problem. Yeah, so, I mean, we know that asthma is a prevalent disease. Uh, people usually have a relative or a friend or family member or even themselves that has asthma. In fact, in the United States, over 20 million people here in the U.S. have asthma. Now, unfortunately, many of those patients are not well controlled. About 60% of asthmatics in the U.S. are not well controlled. But we're not talking about asthma control because a lot of patients who are not controlled with their asthma, just because their treatment is not appropriate or they're not following their physician's advice or they can't even get in to see a physician. We're talking about something a little bit more serious than uncontrolled asthma, um, which is severe asthma. And about 10% of asthmatics in the U.S have severe asthma. What is severe asthma? Well, the uh, Global Initiative for Asthma, or GINA, which is the World Health Organization's asthma guidelines, defines severe asthma as asthma that needs treatment with high-dose inhaled corticosteroids, long-acting beta agonists, or control, or asthma that is uncontrolled despite high-dose inhaled corticosteroid, long-acting bronchodilator uh, combinations. And in the U.S., about three quarters of patients with severe asthma have evidence of eosinophil inflammation. So that is a tool, if you will, that eosinophil inflammation to help us identify these patients with severe asthma. Doreen, tell us about pathophysiology uh, of eosinophilic asthma. 
That's great. The pathophysiology, of course, is super important to understand because it helps us understand the patients, how they respond to medication, and certainly any future therapeutics that we might put them on. So certainly with asthma, you know, back in the day, we used to think about intrinsic and extrinsic asthma. And as immunology has evolved, lab techniques have evolved, we've come to understand the different types of inflammation that underlie that asthma, being type 1, type 2, and type 3 inflammation. And the majority of asthma patients, whether pediatric or adults, we have come to discover that they are the classic type 2 inflammation. And as a matter of consequence, eosinophils being one of those cells that are manifested in type 2 inflammation have become really a very important biomarker. Uh, and also it is really essentially involved in the pathophysiology of asthma. Um, eosinophils, as you know, we think of these lovely cells as something that's present to help us reject parasites, to attack things, to spit out their um, proteins and things like that, to help us um, get rid of pathogens. But in this mutated uh, inflammatory world, uh, patients who have type 2 inflammation, an overreactive present process that's there and has started and continues um, for years and years and years, they have these eosinophils that run around and do crazy things. So in the production of cytokines and chemokines, they then secrete um, really important chemicals, such as major basic protein, eosinophil cationic protein, things like that that you may have heard of, you remember from immunology class. And unfortunately, what happens with the eosinophils is that then with these chemicals, they cause epithelial damage. And epithelial damage then leads to more inflammation, goblet cell hyperplasia, and mucus secretion. And all of this, the inflammation, the eosinophils, the chemicals, the mucus, then lead to the uh, cells being hyperreactive, um, the smooth muscles, and you get bronchial hyperresponsiveness. So overall, this pathophysiological process of this asthma being the type 2 inflammation, really, really important. And the eosinophil being a key part of that, not only as a um, driver of this, but also as a good biomarker for this inflammation. So we recognize then that the majority of patients with severe asthma have evidence of eosinophilic inflammation or an eosinophilic phenotype, and that these eosinophils are critical in the pathophysiology and the damage characteristic of asthma. So Matthew, how would you go about diagnosing an eosinophilic phenotype in your patients? Well, it's a, it's a great question, and it's something that we can, in primary care, easily do. So let's take a step back and, and say, well, what do we mean by a phenotype? So diagnosis is one thing. So you have the diagnosis of asthma. There's ways to do that uh, with characterizing uh, the patient's symptoms, with pulmonary function tests, with physical exam, et cetera. And so I talked earlier about you know, the 25 million people in the United States that have asthma. Many of those people, unfortunately, are not controlled. And what we're talking about is severe asthma, okay? And of those patients with severe asthma, a characteristic of many of those patients is this phenotype. So that's what we mean. It's how do you characterize a certain class of patients, often because those type, certain types of patients may respond differently than other, uh, other patients. And so uh, Dr. Sirwi is talking about um, you know, the pathophysiology, all the inflammation, and one biomarker, basically something that we can measure in the blood you know, like sputum, like, like uh, well, sputum's not in the blood, obviously, um, but we can measure sputum, we can measure blood, we can measure all sorts of things to look for some of these biomarkers uh, to characterize these patients. And blood eosinophils is one of the things that we can easily measure. 
And so again, going back to the guidelines, they recommend that any patient that you think that has severe asthma, again, that is uncontrolled on a high dose, inhaled corticosteroid, long-acting beta agonist com uh, combination, or even those who require daily or oral corticosteroids, the guidelines recommend that we should check for eosinophilia. And how do we do that? Well, that's pretty easy. As a primary care physician, at one point or another, I've usually gotten a CBC on one of my patients that has a differential that tells me that answer. So I don't often have to do a special test. If I suspect severe asthma, I can go in the chart or, you know, and these days we're using electronic medical records. I can look at that lab value and look to see, does that patient have uh, eosinophilia? And so the levels uh, that you can look at is above 150 cells per microliter. And so that 150 cell per microliter cutoff indicates that type two inflammation might be present, which is associated with risk factors for adverse outcomes, which is what we're trying to prevent. If you don't mind me adding on as well, Dr. Vince, uh, it's important to note that in a complete blood count with differential, it is really actually very easy to calculate the absolute eosinophil count. And the number we're looking for is greater than 150 cells per microliter. So in order to get to that eosinophil count, you simply take the percentage, because it's often reported as a percentage of eosinophils, multiplied by the white blood cell count, and this will give you the absolute eosinophil count. If the number is reported, for example, as 0.15, then you simply will multiply that by 1,000 and you'll get the number of 150 or greater. And so, Doreen, expand on that and, and teach us about the importance of actually going through this process of measuring the blood eosinophil, identifying that your patient may have an eosinophil phenotype. Yeah, I think it's important and because we're always asking why, why do we care? Because we all think that we're really good at managing asthma. We've got some great medications out there. But as a matter of fact, these patients who are out there, the ones who keep coming back to our clinic, the ones where we put them on some medications like corticosteroids for an exacerbation, and then a few weeks later, a few months later, they come back asking for more. The ones who are hospitalized, the ones who are really what we call difficult to control and maybe see multiple physicians, um, not just doctors like Dr. Mintz, but also going to prop care and going to specialists. Those patients have a tendency to be those eosinophilic phenotype patients. So we really have to recognize that not only are they having symptoms, but pathophysiologically physiologically, the eosinophil connects with that. So because of these negative impacts they can have, they can have loss of lung function at a more accelerated rate, a poor quality of life, um, a lot of uh, corticosteroid exposure. And in this years, the years of stewardship of corticosteroid use, knowing the long-term side effects, we have to recognize this subset of patients that are utilizing um, 40, 50% of the asthma care, outpatient visits, hospitalizations, medications, um, and really we would urge them to um, be recognized with the CBC with differential, simply just looking at the blood count, recognizing that, you know, that may be in the normal range. Um, their white cell count may be in the normal range, but combined with the symptoms, the fact that their total eosinophil count may be greater than 150 and um, the severity of their um, utilization, then we should consider referring them to a specialist sooner to individualize their therapy. Yeah, very good points. And tying back to something you said earlier, Doreen, also, it seems to me that understanding or measuring the blood eosinophil count in your patient may also help 
with differential diagnosis, you mentioned that eosinophils were important in fighting parasitic infections, for instance. So I think there also may be a role in differential. So as we draw to the end of this first of three podcasts, I'm going to ask just each of you to give me uh, one or two key takeaways about the importance of blood eosinophil testing. So going back to, you know, the, the, the prevalence of asthma, again, asthma is very prevalent. And unfortunately, a lot of patients in our country, United States, are not well controlled. And so the question is, is how do we know that that patient is, is not well controlled either because they don't have the appropriate diagnosis, they're not on the appropriate uh, therapies, they're not using the therapies correctly, or is this an, a patient that's, you know, smaller minority patient that, you know, is just not going to do well, even if you do all the right things. And so that can be tricky sometimes to identify, is this a patient who's just not doing well because they're not, you know, taking their inhaler correctly and, you know, or not an inherent patient, or is this a patient whose asthma is not well controlled because they're this typical phenotype of no matter what you do, it's going to be a challenge to control. And so we do have a clue to, to, to parse that sort of special severe asthmatic patient out so we can focus the attention on that patient and send them to specialists. And that tool is blood eosinophilia. And as I said, it's something that in primary care we do on almost all patients, you know, for a routine physical or things like that. So it's a, it's a valuable tool, it's a useful tool, and it's not that expensive or not that difficult to do. So I, I think it's a really important tool for us to, to be aware of in primary care. So then that we can send the patient to the specialist uh, to get sort of the kind of care that they need to prevent those you know, adverse outcomes that Dr. Siri was mentioning. Yeah, those are really great points. Um, I love to hear you speak about those patients from a primary care perspective. Uh, from a specialist perspective, we see this a lot. You know, I call it the grind. When patients come in, they've had a long-standing history of asthma. Year after year, we see them lose lung function. And um, we really need to take time to ask them, you know, are you impacted? Um, could you be doing better in life if you were breathing better? Are, did you go anywhere else um, and get care for your asthma for an exacerbation? Or are you using um, your rescue inhaler you know, more frequently than, than I expect? And I think if we bridge that disconnect, what we'll find is the majority of those patients actually have an eosinophil phenotype. And it's in our hands, just like Dr. Mintz said. You know, we no longer have to uh, necessarily use all these other tools in an effort to find these patients. Um, a differential added to your complete blood count, very easy to look at, um, identifying these patients and recognizing that between their symptoms uh, and their burden that we should uh, be able to uh, refer these patients on to get better care so we can do better for them. With that, I would like to thank both Matthew and Doreen for your expertise and for such an engaging discussion. Thank you both very much.